Welcome back to another episode of the Statesman Sports Desk podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Joining me as always, Jacob Nielsen, uh, editor of the sports section over at the Statesman. So thanks for joining us once again on the official podcast of the Utah Statesman. Sam Merrill is an NBA champion. Nimi is on the move. College football award watch list season. Lots going on. We'll get to all of it. But let's talk about Sam Merrill, the first Utah State player to be crowned an NBA champ. The very first one, Mr. Sam Buckets Merrill. And who else would it be? Like, of course, of course he won it. Of course it did would be Did we ever Sam. doubt? No. Yeah. No, we never did. We already knew. Yeah, I mean, he wins the Mountain West Championship, and then COVID ends in 2020. And then that's actually kind of crazy. Hold on a second. That was just last year that he hit that shot and beat San Diego State. Feels like 10 years that ago. That feels like an eternity ago. Feels like ago. so long ago. Yeah, but that was just last year. And then... That was the last time he touched a ball. Yeah. Or like the last season, I guess, that he played. Was, yeah, that he played meaningful It was minutes. a championship season. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was on the, the G League in Memphis for a little bit, so... That was this season, though. That was this season. So the last season he played. Oh, He yes. was winning the Mountain West Championship. That's right. And then this year he was and then this year winning the NBA He was winning the NBA championship. So phenomenal stuff from him. I we're pretty excited. Shout out to Giannis. I mean kinda Yeah, Sam Sam's teammate Giannis. Yeah. <laughs> kinda carried the whole Buck squad on his back there, him and Chris Middleton, so yeah, Sam, Sam's teammates, Chris and uh, and Giannis. <laughs> I, we have to refer to all of them as Sam's teammates. And then every time we talk about Sam, it has to be NBA champ Sam Merrill. NBA champion. I think Sam that's Merrill. that's his official title now. People get knighted, you know, like Sir, whatever. Sam is now NBA champion Sam Merrill. Yeah, you get a PhD, you become doctor. Yeah, like it's it's improper to just call him Sam or like Mr. Merrill. It's like, excuse me, that's Mr. NBA champion Sam Merrill for you. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree that that should be a thing so i have some statistics about sam merrill we all know the dude is just a winner and so i kind of did uh, a little bit of research i went to high school like his rival high school so i've kind of been watching him for a while and so uh, and this is all on like twitter so go sorry redbirds you, oh yeah they they did just change their mascot they're now the redbirds go vikings though i'm a Vermont viking through and through so this this is all on my twitter if you follow me on twitter sorry for the redundancy but it's like worth repeating because sam merrill is just a winner the past three seasons, Sam Merrill has played basketball. He won a championship. And then in his past six seasons, across three different levels, he's won four championships. Four championships in six years. Because he won his senior year, state championship. Took two years off of winning championships in college. Back-to-back championships in college. Rookie year in the NBA. Wins the finals. That's quite a stat. That's insane. <laughs> That's like, if you could go four for six in championships in any sport or like anything, that's crazy. You take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Like, all three levels, he's reached the highest point. Sam's impact on each of those three teams is a little bit different. For sure. For sure. Obviously, For sure. the last one. But that's not to say that he didn't have an impact on the Bucks this season. I wrote a story last night um, for the Statesman saying, like, hey, he won the title. But I dropped a few... Um, videos and recapped a few of the moments that were awesome this year and on December 29th he hit the 29th three-pointer of the game for the Bucks and their win over the Heat and that was an NBA record for most three-pointers in a game by any team and so he got an NBA record and he scored like 15 points in one game and so there were drops here and here and there of Merrill making his presence known on the NBA level and hopefully uh, he'll get back into summer league and maybe 
carve something out for himself. Um, one thing I want to say really quick, and then we're going to get into some other stuff, but I, I asked David Raglan. David Raglan, he was – Coach Rags. Coach Rags. He was on Coach Smith's staff, and he's a great dude. I asked him this morning. I was like, hey, Sam Merrill, NBA champion. Emias Ked is going to get drafted next week. How proud are you as their coach and someone that's developed them that they have reached us? And he responded, and it was kind of cool, but this is what he said. Quote, it's a weird feeling because I'm not shocked. It's the way both those guys are built, but definitely proud to see it all play out the way they dreamed it. We saw the vision. They fell in love with the process of the plan, and we were part of helping them achieve their hopes and dreams. Beyond proud of them. So I think that's pretty cool. Um hearing that from him that he's moved on the whole the whole coaching staff's moved on but I don't think that we should forget that they helped breed Maryland Ketta into the guys that they are now NBA players and so that's we've talked about this before but I think it's awesome that we're going to have two guys in the NBA next season so good stuff coming from from coach Rags there he's at Butler now but still like you said like he's had such a big role in not only just the program but these individuals lives like I think sometimes we forget that athletes are like actual people. You know, some of the coaching staff has had like a lasting impact on Sam Merrill's life and career, and same with Kata. So one other note on on Sam Merrill and just kind of the state of, of basketball in the state right now. Um, one interesting thing that I did see, Sam Merrill, um, along with Elijah Bryant, both on the Bucks roster this year. Elijah Bryant went to BYU. Uh, last year, Kyle Kuzma was on the championship team. He went to Utah the year before that, DeLon Wright was on the Raptors championship team. Fun fact about DeLon Wright, in middle school on the basketball team, they called me the white DeLon Wright because of the way I played. I had braces like he did when he was at Utah. <laughs> they, called, they called you the white DeLon Wright? They called me the white DeLon Wright. We both did this. He had this like reverse behind-the-back dunk against BYU in a game, and around the same time, I had like this reverse behind-the-back layup. Same thing. Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Close enough. And so, yeah, I was the white DeLon Wright in junior high, so... Okay, that's cool. Just had to drop that. But yeah, so DeLon Wright from Utah into an NBA championship Raptors team. Unfortunately, Jacob never made an NBA roster that won the finals. But hey, you never know. Hey, you never know what Not can yet. Not yet. There's always next year. Um, but that, that's four year, or three years in a row that someone who played college ball in Utah won the finals. Four dudes in three years. Um, I, I just think that's big for the state of Utah. I think that's big for recruiting. Like I always kind of call it like the sports like the sports economy or the basketball economy in Utah, like it's thriving right now. Like we have um, a professional team right down the road that's a, a, you know, a title contender. We have really good teams in college producing really good basketball players uh, that go on to have success at the next level. And like that's big for recruiting. And like it's just fun too, like to watch a Utah State team with potential NBA guys play against the BYU team with potential NBA guys. So it's just big, you know, it gets, it gets our name out there. It gets, you know, other schools in the state their names out there and so it's fun like I, like I said it's kind of like this big basketball ecosystem in the state and like I think it's probably as strong strong as ever so it's just fun yeah, um, absolutely but going right along with that is our guy Mimi Iskada not a lot of news going on other than he posted on his Instagram story that he was landing in Philadelphia could have been a uh, could have been a layover going somewhere else but I happen to notice that Philadelphia is a city that has an NBA team in it. I'm starting to notice a pattern. There's also no major hubs in Philadelphia that that's, I'm aware of. That's so true. I don't that's know why some good journalism there. right there. That's, yeah. um, but I'm starting to notice a pattern where he's spending time in cities that have NBA teams. Safe to say that 
He's been working out with some of these teams, uh, talking with some of these teams. Like, honestly, this is just so exciting for Utah State Hoops. Okay, here's here's a trivia question for you, Jacob. When was the last time we had two players drafted in consecutive years and one of those players won an NBA title? <laughs> it's never happened. It's never happened. The last time was never. Like, this is so cool for the program. Uh, we should be really excited about Kata. And here's the other thing is if he does go to a place like Philadelphia, they're like an instant contender. Well, so. Dame, Dame time's coming to Philly. That's my prediction for the offseason. That could happen. That'd be so fun to watch Dame and Kata play together. Two Utah guys, Weber State, Utah State. Exactly. Could They, they could make it, what, five guys in four years? Or yeah. What is it? We're at four, four and three, six guys in four years. Yeah. The, math, cool. the math checks out, yeah. The math checks out. But that's the other thing is there's so many title contending teams in the NBA. Like, there's a pretty good shot he gets drafted to a team that is a – like, especially in the West, like a team that is a contender. But, yeah, so not much on the Nemius Cato front. We'll keep uh, information coming. One other small piece of news for men's hoops. I don't know that this is necessarily news, but ESPN did put out their, their announcement that the 2021 Myrtle Beach Invitational, the field is set. I thought it was set, like, weeks ago, so maybe I was missing something. Uh, but they put something out this week or last week saying that the field is set, which is cool. The really cool part, though, is they have their team to beat as Utah State. So the field is Davidson, East Carolina, Indiana State, New Mexico State, Oklahoma, Old Dominion, Penn, and Utah State. ESPN has this to say, despite losing star Nemius Keda to the NBA draft and losing head coach Craig Smith to rival Utah, Utah State and new head coach Ryan Odom possess a group that returns standout Justin Bean from a team that reached the NCAA tournament last season while adding transfers Brandon Horvath and RJ Edelrock from UMBC, Odom's former school. So I'm not the only one that's high on Utah State this upcoming year. I'm not the only one that's optimistic. We'll have plenty of time to talk Aggies hoops, but I saw that in the news. It came across my feed, and I was like, that's cool, that's relevant, that's fun. One thing I want to say about the Myrtle Beach Invitational, if I'm just being candid, you got eight teams in it, and this is the field you can come up with. I don't know. I was a little bit underwhelmed with. I know this ain't this ain't Maui. We're not getting Kansas and Indiana in there, but you got Oklahoma. That's the one major program, and New Mexico State's all right, but like Penn, Indiana State, like Larry Bird ain't around. Like <laughs> these aren't great programs. So like it's yeah, Davidson with Steph Curry. Like Steph Curry doesn't play there <laughs> anymore. That's right. So I mean, yeah. If you look at this list, maybe Oklahoma, and I know that Davidson actually does, they do have good teams every once in a while, but we should be the team to be with or without Keta in this thing. But no, we, I, we should be. I think it was flattering words yeah. from ESPN, and yeah, and it certainly is a, a reason to be excited. No, like, I, yeah, I, Oklahoma's good. Davidson has good years every once in a while. Indiana State, uh, same thing. They have good teams every once in a while, but Utah State should be the team to beat, and they are. So good. Like, there we go. So. A little bit more news before we get into our second segment, which is actually an interview. Jacob sat down with Coach Bonda, and I forgot to bring that up at the top of the show. So stay tuned for that. We're bringing that to you. And then also Nico Medved, the head coach at Colorado State, just signed a contract extension through the 2026-2027 season. Like He's a really good coach. We'll be seeing him a lot. We'll be hearing from him a lot. You know, just a little bit of news going on in the conference. Yeah, that's great news. Um, I think he's a great coach, and... It's great for the conference that Colorado State has become what they've become, and they they could win the Mountain West Championship this year. And so they could. If Nico could stick around for a while and hold on to that contract. Like, hey, might be some uh, some fun matchups in future years between the Aggies and the Rams. Oh, I think so for sure. 
I Nico is really good, and I was surprised when his name didn't come up a lot more with some of the coaching vacancies that happened this past year. But I thought he would have come up in the Utah search. There were some other searches that you know you would have thought you'd see his name at least floated around, but it really wasn't. So you or Colorado State really getting a steal there by locking him down for a couple more years. I think he's a great coach, and he's really turned it, this Colorado State Rams team into a powerhouse. Like they are gonna be tough to beat and i mean the mountain west like almost everyone's tough to beat but like they're they got like a special team over there so that'll, that'll be fun to watch him in the next next few years yeah i think it's kind of funny um when the minnesota job was vacant all the three like premier coaches in the mountain west brian dutcher at san diego state craig smith at Minnesota, uh utah state and uh, Nico Medved at Colorado State, they all have Minnesota ties. They do, yeah. And so all three of their names, there's like a contract stipulation for Brian Dutcher. That was, yeah. That like that the crazy. buyout's less if he gets to go to Minnesota, right? Yeah. And so all three of those guys probably would have taken that job. But then for they sure. went, they got like some like assistant from like Xavier or something. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Like yeah. three West Coast coaches all have very close ties to Minnesota. Like that's kind of a coincidence. Yeah. And, and even then, though, I feel like the only two, or the two that were getting the most talk were Coach Smith and Coach Dodger. Even then, Nico was kind of like flying under the radar, and I think that would have been a good hire. But Colorado State keeps him, and they locked it down, so good for them. Yeah, it's because they haven't made the tournament yet. Fun. The second second the Rams make an NCAA tournament, Nico's name is going to be flying all over boards of, hey, should yeah. this guy go here and yeah. that. You know what I hope happens? I hope he gets hired by Colorado. No, no. And they have to go through what we went no, through. No, <laughs> no. That would be fun. You guys and coaches. No, the I, I don't want CSU to have to go through that. They're they're one of the good, the good guys in this conference. That's true. But so is Utah State, and we had to go through it. So yeah, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> okay, so that just about does it for all the news kind of floating around right now. Obviously, we're right in the middle of uh, media days. The draft is still coming up, so news is still going to be coming in fast. But I think that kinda, uh, that kind of does it for right now. Let's move on to your interview with Coach Bonda. Uh, It was a fantastic interview. What do you have to say about it before we get into it? Well, I did not ask his permission to, hey, I'm going to throw our interview on a podcast. So, Coach Bonda, sorry if uh, if you're upset with this, but we're doing it anyways. You gave us such a fantastic interview, and it was was over the phone. He did. It'd be a crime not to. You know, so I was actually. So good. So I've been trying to. Um, nail down some interviews for this preview magazine that we're putting together at the Statesman and I get a call from Doug Hoffman he's the PR guy for football he's a great dude but I was uh, walking on the quad on campus getting from A to B and I just got a call out of the blue from Doug and if I get a call out of the blue from Doug I, I gotta answer the phone he's like hey I was able to get Coach Bonda squared away right now are you ready to do an interview I'm, I'm in the middle of the quad right and so I'm like, yeah, give me a second. So I ran over to a bench next to Old Main, and I pulled out my computer and clicked record. And I hadn't fully thought through exactly how the I was gonna the interview was gonna go, how I wanted it to go. But we just kind of kind of ran with it, and it went all right. So <laughs> that's funny. I actually didn't know that. Um, it's a great interview, though. Um, Coach Ephraim Bonda, defensive coordinator of the Utah State Aggies here in his first year. Let's get right into it. Let's start. All right, so when you haven't been with your family, how's the summer been going with uh, recruiting and everything? It was great. I mean, just to be able to get out in June and actually see some of the kids that we had started building relationships with, whether it be on campus or at, you know, the various satellite camps, it was extremely helpful. You know, especially not being able to get out in the spring. In the normal transition, you know, you get to campus, 
you know, you meet everybody, you kind of get a recruiting plan going, and then, you know, at some point you get the road for spring recruiting, and uh, you get out there and you meet the coaches in the area, you meet the players, you get to see them practice. Well, all obviously with COVID, that opportunity was not available for us, so it made it really, really hard to get to know the kids, evaluate them, and the fact that it was open in June was just a major, major help to be able to get out there. And we saw so many kids, you know, we mixed in on-campus recruiting with camps, on-campus camps and a satellite camp, so we are able to see a lot of kids. It was really good. Yeah, that's great that y'all have been able to get back out there and that kids can start coming on campus now. So yeah, I think, huge. We needed it. Yeah, for sure. I think the big story with the defense this year, obviously you and your whole staff are brand new at the school, but then you brought in so many transfers. Talk a little bit about some of the transfers on the defensive side of the ball that are going to have an immediate impact for the team in the fall. Yeah, I mean, for us, taking transfers was something that we had done a lot at Miami. Not at the level that we're doing it here, but it was something we had a lot of success with there. So all the kids we had taken at Miami in the past, for the most part, had been pretty successful. And there was also an equation to that success that went into deciding who we were taking. We were looking for the right type of kid. We weren't going to just take a kid just because he was really good. He had to fit the culture, especially in year one. You don't want to bring in someone that's not going to fit what Coach Anderson wants culturally. So, you know, we were very, very selective in the type of kids we brought in. They were the right kids, good kids, kids that were just needed a second chance, uh, which which is, is good. I mean, transfer portal is good for the kids. It's good for college programs. I think it's a positive thing personally. So, yes, it was a big story. I know a lot of people have asked the questions about it, but we did bring in good kids. In terms of just the type of kids or the kids in general, you know, up front, starting with, you know, Byron Vaughns, our defensive end from Texas, uh, he's he's as good as he wants to be in terms of his ceiling. He's got a really high ceiling. He's, a, in my opinion, the elite pa- a pass rusher. He plays extremely hard, and he still has some years of eligibility left with a lot of his growth still to to reach so we're excited to get him in he's made an instant impact in the spring and you know speaking with some of the guys at texas he had that talent level he played he has a really high motor he plays really really hard patrick joiner the other defensive from miami was a young man that i recruited out of high school down in, in, in southern dade county so a kid i was really familiar with uh he's, he's also a, a really good kid that i knew that we could bring into the program that would not uh do anything other than just promote the program and do a really good job work his butt off I thought, you know, Coach Anderson would like the young man, and I put my name on him. He has done everything we've asked him to do. Uh, he's flipped from linebacker to defensive end over his time at Miami. He, we've, I've always kind of felt like he'd grow into a defensive end, which uh, he has. He's, he's been awesome. He also, like Byron, has a few years of eligibility left. D-tackle, we obviously brought in Jay Hazel Lee from Georgia Tech. He was another young man that I had some friends with at Georgia Tech and called on. He was slated to be a starter there going into the COVID year and then next year, but things didn't work out. Broke his hand, wrist, had to recover from that, then got COVID. So he really just missed a lot of time. And through that time, just figured out it was time to uh, find a new place. And all the people there spoke highly of him. He's been a great addition. Uh, He only has one year left, but really wanted to beef up that area. And he actually was a guy that we had played against in Miami in the past well so we had competed against him we had seen him play before which was which was really good at linebacker we took justin rice which the justin rice was at fresno state and i think was the kind of to be a defensive player of the year going into the COVID year we did not get to play obviously and then went transferred to arkansas state all the guys who came from arkansas state on the staff spoke really highly of him i got a chance to speak with him you know at during the transition and really really like him he is super intelligent uh he's got a I think he may be a coach one day. He's got that type of intelligence. He's still working to practice hard and play hard. 
Uh, he's got the thing about Justin is Fresno State was, if I'm not mistaken, one of the last schools to get back into playing. So there was a, you know, he, he didn't get a great summer. So he's never had that full summer slash spring to work out. And now he's had that. looks really good. So really proud of him. Um, trying to think. Kyle Mayberry was the corner we brought from Kansas. I was a guy that Blake Anderson was recruiting before and wound up picking Kansas late in the process out of high school. Uh, another senior that's you know played a lot of football there in the Big 12. Uh, Hunter Reynolds is coming from Michigan. He is he's another guy that I have friends and colleagues that I've known him. Another really good culture program guy that played played for Michigan a lot uh, last year. Didn't season. He has two years left. So the biggest thing for us in the transfers is we didn't just take one year guys. We brought in guys that can buy into the culture, be a part of the program. You know, call Utah State home for multiple years, not just a one and done. Coach Bonda, that was a fantastic answer. I want to ask about you personally and your decision to come and join Blake Anderson up here in Logan. Obviously, you had a good gig down at Miami. What was the decision to, hey, I'm going to pack up and bring my family. We're going to go out to the Rockies and go coach in the Mountain West. (laughs) Well, first and foremost, you know, Blake Anderson was a big, big, huge, huge piece of that. I'll tell you this, and I've told everyone this. In the coaching profession, it's a small world. People think it's big, but it really isn't. It's a small world. And one of the things that you realize when you're in this profession, and that I was groomed and taught, you know, through Manny Diaz and, and, and Dwayne Aquinas of the world and, 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 and other guys that I've been around, Dan Mullins, uh, Mark Riggs, Mac Browns, one of the things that was consistent, especially with Manny, was that you want to work for good people. Because this profession is so hard and it's, it's so stressful that if you work for a bad person, it makes things even 10 times worse. And it makes winning not fun. I, I, I truly believe this. The, the, the culture that the staff has trickles down to the players and they feel it, they sense it, and they either play better because of it or they play worse because of it. So for me, I was never going to work for a bad head coach if I didn't have to. You know, sometimes you're forced to. And and Blake Anderson in this profession, not a lot of people know this, but Blake Anderson is on the Mount Rushmore of coaches you want to work for. You know, there's guys like Mark Rick, he's up there. You know, there there's really there's four or five coaches out there that you just heard stories about that are just awesome human beings that you want to work for. And he is one of those guys that I've always heard through colleagues through friends, um, you know, different people that I respect that just said he was an awesome dude and that you really enjoyed it. He, he promoted family. He didn't just promote it, he lived it. So for me, it was, I'd always heard of him through that light. So when he called, I listened. It was like, and I wasn't going to leave for anything. I, I did have a great situation. Uh, I work for a great head coach who's, who's going to be, you know, he, he's, he's, he's grooming this profession for nine, ten plus years. So I didn't, it was not an easy choice to leave. But Blake Anderson and what I had heard about him and known about the type of culture and the people that have worked with him and me is spending time with really good head coaches that created those type of cultures was extremely encouraging. The other thing for me was, you know, I actually, the, the conference, the Mountain West Conference, in my opinion, is, you know, they talk about group of five. I really feel they'd be the group of six league if there was a league to, to make the jump because over the years they have been the most consistent league um you know since there's kind of been a group of five power five shift it's great football it's been the most consistent league that you know they do a great job physicalness toughness there's a variety of offenses variety of defenses i've seen a lot of coaches come not only through the mountain west but also utah state and have success a lot of really good coaches have been to logan and and, and have 
had success. The program is one. That was another reason I'd seen program. I've seen teams win here. I've seen coaches win here. I've seen players have success. And really, the last thing that sold me was I downloaded the entire season before I took the job on when I was still in Miami. I watched every game, and I just saw a group of kids that just really wanted to play extremely, extremely hard. They, they were dealt really tough cards due to the coaching situation, COVID, not winning. But I did see a bunch of kids that tried, and they played hard. They were physical, and they threw themselves around on defense. And, I, you know, I saw a culture, you know, that, that was here from the previous staff. I think Frank did a great job trying to keep this thing together. And I saw it, and I said, you know what? When you have that and you have kids that want to play hard, even despite the situation, and you're trying, you have a place that's willing to win, you know, you have, a, you have a program that's willing to do the things it takes, you have a head coach that you respect and admire. And, and then, you know, last part, the conference and – and I'd never been out west, so I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and, and, and really grow. And all those things kind of just said, checked all the boxes. And, and the last thing I do is check with Mama, which is not the last <laughs> thing, but she's really the she's, the, she's the one that says yes, no. And I had to explain all these things to her. And when she was okay and it all made sense, we were, like, we were all in. So it was a lot of different things, never just one. For sure. Hey, that's a great answer. Coach Bond, I've already taken too much of your time, but is it cool if I ask you one more question? Of course, you Seriously, you're not. I'm okay. Take okay. Cool. You need to ask questions too. It's fine. I'm never one of those guys. Right on. I, I'm just curious. Um, I don't know much about your defensive philosophy. I, I've watched some Miami. I've seen the turnover chain and stuff. But what are you hoping to implement with this defense this fall? What's kind of your strategy or kind of your philosophy with how to stop the other team from scoring? The biggest thing for us uh, is two. Is really four main pillars and we can talk a lot about that all another day but sure. for us it, it, there's there has to be we're going to tackle a certain way okay we're a shoulder leverage tackling team and we're going to we literally rep it every single day of practice and even when we're not in practice and they're doing player run practice they're still practicing a shoulder leverage style of tackling which is derived from the Seattle Seahawks which the Seattle Seahawks essentially got from rugby and that is a major philosophical thing for us that is different for our kids um, in terms of just scheme and, and everything like that you know we're a 4-3 based team but we have developed the 4-3 over the years it's changed with the multiple offense that, that, that is in college football now we're playing with a more hybrid type player at a, what they call a SAM position, which we call striker. That striker position, which is in a normal 4-3, is a hybrid guy. He's got to be able to play in the box and in space and play man. It's a very, uh, it's, it's a hybrid position. We call it, like I said, we call it striker. But the other thing for difference for us in terms of scheme that we're different and, and our multiplicity is really the word that we talk a lot about is that we are very multiple in the back end and also up front. For us, we're going to give you a four-down front and a three-down front, and you're going to have to practice both. And the more that you have to practice, the less that you get good at practicing against those things, which makes it harder for offenses. And at the end of the day, what our goal is is to be really, really hard to call plays against. We want to make it hard for you to practice against us. We want to be extremely aggressive. And people always use the word aggressive, but they, I always say, well, how? What's aggressive mean? Well, aggressive to us is we're going to challenge you in the secondary. 
we're going to get up and challenge you. We're going to play press man, and we're not going to give you easy throws. With that being said, we got to hold up. Okay, so we'll play a lot of man coverage, but we'll also we'll give you two high looks. We'll give you cover three looks. We'll give you lots of there of you know variety in the back end. Up front, like I said, we'll play four down. We'll play three down, and we'll and we'll pressure you. We, you know, I'm a guy that likes a lot of movement. My number one thing to do in the way I was raised in this profession is that I want to make it extremely hard on the O-line coach and the offensive line. The harder you make it for those guys, the harder it makes it for the rest of the team. So if we're moving, if we're blitzing, we're being extremely aggressive up front, and we're challenging in the back end, that's when we can be our best. And at the end of the day, we've got to tackle great. That was good stuff from no, Coach Bonda, huh? That was good stuff. Like, I remember I was listening to that for the first time, and I was kind of telling you this earlier. But, like, sometimes my inner fan in me comes out. And, like, I was just listening to Coach Bonda talk. In my mind, like, my mind seriously went here. I was like, we're never losing a football game again. <laughs> like, I'm listening to him talk. I'm like, we are going to hold Boise State to a field goal. <laughs> like, that's just kind of where my mind went listening to this guy. I, I just got so fired up. I just got so excited for the season and for the defense. Uh, I was listening to him talk, listening to him break down uh, some of the players that we have coming in. And some of the defensive schemes, the way we're tackling, just stuff like that. And I was just like, this is this is like legit. This is the real deal. Um, let's dive in. Let's kind of break down what he was saying. There's not much I can add to it, but but let's just talk about it. One one theme that I'm starting to pick up on, um, just from what I'm seeing and hearing from different coaches, and even just like from what I'm seeing with my own eyes, is Byron Vons, Byron Vons, Byron Vons. He is legit. He's a super, super athlete. It's not every day we uh, get transfers in from Texas. Uh, a lot of transfers coming in. A lot of transfers coming in on the defensive side. Probably on the offensive side, too. But, yeah, that defense is really, uh, really well put together by Coach Bonda and his staff. They, like, he sounds like he was really specific, really strict about the type of dudes he was bringing in. He kind of talked about it there at the beginning. Like, yeah, the transfer portal was wide open. I think at one point there was like a record number of people in the transfer portal. Maybe not quite, but there was a lot this season. And, you know, Utah State seemed like they were maybe not in a position to be really picky. You know, beggars can't be choosers. And Utah State had a rough year last year. It'd be easy to fall into the trap where you just go and get anybody that's talented. And Coach Bondo was like, no, that's not what we're doing. Like, we want people who want to come to Logan and call it home. We want people who act a certain way, who can play a certain way. That's really cool. Yeah, so anything you hear from a coach... You got to take with a little bit of a grain of salt. Just, you know, coach talk. Everyone loves to hit on culture and family and the right person. But there's definitely a validity to it. And I believe that Coach Bondo was being genuine with what he was saying. And one thing I think is for some of these transfers, you got to either like you got nowhere else to go or you got to be a certain type of kid to be willing to come to Logan and come to Utah State because a lot of these transfer guys like Patrick Joyner, he was in Miami with Coach Bonda and Byron Vons from Texas, and Jaza Lee was at Georgia Tech. Guys from all over, and for them to be willing to come to the Rockies and come to Logan, I think that that right there says something that, hey, they're willing to do this. They're, they're not coming just for kicks and giggles, that they just want to have fun being on a college football team. Like, they'll go to Florida Atlantic or some other, like, low-tier G5 program that, that has a beach, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> Nice weather and low expectations. Yeah, they get a Tulane, and <laughs> 
So, like, I think that that says something. Anybody that comes to Utah State from completely outside, they have a vision and they want to work hard and they're buying into what the coaching staff is selling. I think that the possibly the biggest storyline besides the new coaching staff coming in is how loaded this defense is going to be coming into the fall. Loaded is a relative term. They're not loaded like Alabama is loaded, but they're loaded compared to what we were last year on defense. I think, so a couple of things. Like one, yeah, I there's a lot of coach speak that goes into it. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of things that he didn't have to say that he did. You know, when you ask him about some of the guys that, that are coming in, he doesn't go straight to, oh, they're big, they're fast, they're strong. He does dwell a lot on character. And so there is a lot of coach speak there. But like you said, there's a lot of validity there too. Like he didn't have to say that. But yeah, this this defense is certainly loaded. Uh, like you said, it's all, it's all relative, but compared to what we did last year, um, and some of the other teams in the conference, I do think we're we're pretty stacked in on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and especially the front seven because we have Hunter Reynolds coming in from Michigan. Actually, he's he's a DB, excuse me. But we have here's here's going to be our front seven. Possibly this is going to be the starters. It's going to be Jahaz Ali from Georgia Tech. It's going to be Byron Vaughns, Patrick Joyner, maybe Nick Henninger, maybe Marcus Moore. That's going to be the defensive line. Starts up front. That's right. And then the linebackers. It's going to be. Justin Rice, the transfer from Arkansas State, which Coach Bonda mentioned. He's a guy that he was he knows the Mountain West. He was at Fresno State and then he's he's just a football junkie, right? So when they announced they weren't playing football at the Mountain West did last year, he was like, oh, I'm about to Arkansas State. Yeah. And so it's gonna be him. It's gonna be Cash Gilliam. And Cash is gonna be, from what I know, as long as things go well in fall camp and Cash stays healthy. He's going to be the guy that's playing the striker position. Yeah, that, that hybrid position. Exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah, what, what Coach Bonda was talking about. And that's something that's actually pretty authentic to Coach Bonda. Not, not like, I don't think he invented the position. There's a few other schools that use it. But like, if you Google striker position American football, what's going to come up is stories from University of Miami and yeah. their defense. So yeah, it's, it's unique for sure. It's unique. And so that's going to be fun to watch Cash in that role. I don't really know how it's going to look like on TV or like in person, like seeing him just running around, but he'll be there flying around. And then yeah. I think that the other guy that will be starting in linebacker is AJ Bombachon. Yeah. And so, cool. yeah, he's, he's, he's a stud. He's developed so well. So yeah, just breaking it down. Those seven, Justin Rice, Cash Gilliam, AJ Bombachon, Patrick Joyner, Jahaz Ali, Nick Henninger, and Byron Vaughns. You just list those guys. Those are all guys that can play football. Yeah. Like, yeah. that front seven is somebody that maybe they could actually shut down an Air Force triple option. I sure hope so. Maybe they could actually get to Hank Batchemeyer. I almost said something naughty there. <laughs> and, you know, stop the Boise passing attack. Like, these are guys that are maybe going to be able to put a dent in the metal of some of these opposing offensive lines. So that's something that uh, I think that's yeah. the biggest strength of our team next year is how loaded we are up front on the defense. Yeah. yeah. And Utah State does have like a really fun and rich history of linebackers. We've had just even recently the Vigil brothers, Kyler Fackrell, Bobby Wagner, obviously. Like we we've had a really fun history. David um, Woodward. Yeah, Woodward. Um, I know that there's some I'm missing. Um, that kind of played in that that first Gary Anderson era. It's such it's been such a fun position to watch here at Utah State. I'm excited to have that like come back. Like I'm excited for like the return of like make linebackers great again <laughs> make it fun to watch linebackers again like there were times back in like the 2012 season where i would be like stoked when we would turn the ball over and i got to watch the vigil brothers take the field again so i'm excited for kind of that just kind of that energy on defense uh, once again in logan i i wonder too if 
you know, because Coach Bonda talks about how Blake Anderson is kind of on this Mount Rushmore of guys he'd want to coach for, which, I mean, that statement we could, like, there's so much to unpack there. We could do a whole pod on that alone. But I wonder how much of that trickles down to the players. I think probably a lot of it. I think maybe he's on the Mount Rushmore of coaches you want to play for. And hopefully he can get his guys to, to play hard and work hard, too. Yeah, well, I mean, just look at Coach Bonda's situation. and Such a great answer to that question I asked him. Like, why'd you come to Logan? And so, so detailed, so many different reasons. But he had a good situation going. Like, I know Miami, they had a tough year last year. Like, anything that happened in the COVID, like, you can't take too seriously. But... He was the co-defensive coordinator at a prominent ACC school that is going to benefit off of NIL more than anybody. Yeah. Like you've already, I there was this big booster that said, "Hey, I'm gonna give every single player on the Miami football team $500 a month for doing X, Y, or Z. Something very shady, but something that's <laughs> not gonna be regulated." So yeah. what I'm getting at is, Ephraim Bonza, he wasn't on the hot seat down in South Florida. No, he wasn't. He had great relationship with Manny Diaz, who's the defensive coordinator there, and no, excuse me. Manny Diaz is the head coach. He was the defense coordinator at Texas when Ephraim Bonda was the uh, the safeties coach at Texas. Anyways, he had a great position, and Miami might be a good place to be. They might start getting some serious good studs. And so for him to being where he was and still uprooting and going, that actions speak louder than words. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That is such a major action that he completely changed his career path like hey now i'm gonna go to logan and be with blake anderson because i think that highly of him and i yeah that's pretty impressive yeah and he kind of said it. he's like he wasn't gonna leave for just anything like this this must have been a special opportunity and part of that yeah it's coach anderson uh, it's a big part of it but i think another part of it is he had faith in the type of guys he could get to come play for him and the defensive schemes and the things that he thinks he could implement here that's one of the things he mentioned he he said as soon as he got the call he downloaded all the film from last year and what he saw were guys that wanted to play hard guys that were handed maybe not the best hand but he saw guys that wanted to play hard and he wanted to come coach those guys like he wanted to come coach some of these players bring in some more players but I think he was confident in what he could implement here at Utah State and part of that is you know those four pillars that he mentioned that first thing he mentioned the uh that we're a shoulder leverage tackling team I love the way he said that. So many defensive coordinators, they'll, they'll always give you the whole coach speak of, oh, we're going to learn to tackle right. We're going to wrap up, do this, do that. Coach Bonda's coming in, and he's, like, changing the way we're tackling. He's not just, like, he's not teaching the guys to tackle better or faster or wrap up. Like, he's like, we're changing the way we tackle completely. Yeah, so, shoulder-level tackling is an interesting thing. It's derived from Pete Carroll and the Seahawks from rugby, and probably more programs than you think actually – adhere to shoulder level tackling but if you watch film from utah state games last year we they didn't weren't, they weren't shoulder level tackling yeah. like and um i think that's placing an emphasis on it and it's cool that he'll tell the media guys like no like this is exactly like how we're going to tackle and so it'll be interesting to see in the fall if there there is a difference right and, yeah yeah but i want to see cam lampkin when he gets out there on an island i want to see him actually you know, pull, put his shoulder into a guy and bring him down yeah. for just a five-yard gain instead of getting dragged an extra three yards and it's an exactly. eight-yard gain, right? That can make a huge difference. I mean, they say football's a game of inches, so stuff like that matters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly think we're going to see a difference. And like you said, like, shoulder leverage tackling is not the most unique thing in football. It's not quite as unique as some of the other things he's trying to implement here. Um, but it's certainly something that should look a little bit different, especially if you know what you're looking for. It's definitely something important to him that he's going to implement that was maybe not in place in years past. So that's definitely something to watch. 
Uh, let's talk about kind of the scheme, and he talked about uh, the way he's going to run his defense. I think a lot of defenses with how complicated college football offenses have become with the spread, and there's so many different ways to move the football, a lot of defenses have become reactionary defenses where it's like it's our job. You, what you hear is the um, bend, don't break. That's kind of the cliche. Yeah. yeah. Um, but pretty much what it kind of means is like we're a reactionary defense so we're going to try to stop you from what you're doing and force turnovers and try to get the ball back and that's great and all but Banda's philosophy is we're we're an enforcer defense we're not going to sit around and wait for you to come to us we're going to be pressing man we're going to be creating havoc right and so that's that aggressiveness that he talked about um, should be refreshing and it's sometimes you think that it might be like high risk high reward right because if you're pressing your guys up front and if you're throwing in crazy blitz packages and trying to catch people off guard sometimes you're going to get burned and you're going to give up a 50-yard touchdown pass right but at the same time we won't be like inevitably just giving up seven yards every play yeah you're not before they find the end zone small passes yeah yeah so they're trying to create this havoc that I don't know, because, like, the defense last year, lots wrong with it, but, like, there was no havoc, right? Like, yeah. you sometimes the guys were in the right spots, per se, but against great offenses, you can't just be in the right spot. you yeah. got to beat the offensive guy to the spot, right? Great great offenses will, will punish you for doing almost the right thing exactly. or kind of the right thing. Like, great offenses will, like, drop 50 on you if you do that. So and yeah. we saw that last year, you know. Mm-hmm. So Utah State, from what Coach Bond is saying, is we're not going to do that. Like we're not going to concede a five-yard run or a five-yard pass to prevent a big hail mary long bomb. Like why should we give you anything? You know, like we're going to make you work for it. If you want those five yards, you're going to earn them. And yeah, you might be able to drop one over us every once in a while, but we're going to get some athletes out there chasing you down. But like why? Why should we just give every team five yards every time? Like, we shouldn't be spotting teams. Like, that's the reactionary nature of so many defenses is kind of their goal is to stop what's happening or to slow the team down. But this, you know, this defensive mindset is like, we are going to get after it. We're not going to just stop what's happening. We're going to stop it before it happens. You know, that that's going to be probably a refreshing change of pace from what we've seen. And honestly, what's becoming the norm in college football with so many teams just giving up smaller plays, hoping just to stop a big play. Like, why, let's just stop both. And that's kind of that's kind of what Coach Bond is trying to implement, and that should, be, that should be good. Yeah, and it's exciting because going back to the personnel, well, I'll say this. The offense, we're going to talk to some offensive coaches and do an offensive preview and discuss that. But my concern with the offense is I don't know if they totally have the perfect personnel they need to run the air raid as effectively as they're going to want to and play as fast as they're going to want to. Yeah. But I believe that the defense does have the personnel necessary to play this aggressive enforcer type of football that Bonda wants to play, going back to yeah, all the guys exactly. that are aforementioned. So pre, pre-forementioned? That we talked about earlier. That we talked about <laughs> earlier. Exactly. No, you're, you're right, though. I mean – we, it's kind of like the phrase, Rome wasn't built in a day. We have to remember where this team was last year versus where they are even now. So it's awesome that Utah State was able to bring in all these guys on defense, but that's not the norm. The norm is rebuilding piece by piece. 
the defense kind of exploded and was able to get a lot to come in all at once. And so it's not that the offense is in a bad place. It's that like they've improved and they're going to look better. They're in a just fine place. It's just that the defense is in an unbelievably good place. It's not an, a knock on the offense as much as it is praise for the defense. The offense is about where you'd want it to be in a rebuilding year coming back from a one win season that looked the way it did last year. But the defense was really able to somehow bring in the right coaches, the right guys, the right athletes to implement what they want, like, immediately. And you don't see that a lot. Like, usually you have to rebuild for a couple of years. You don't get what you want yeah. immediately. And not only that, but all these transfers coming in. Jahaz Ali from Georgia Tech, he is the exception. This is his last year of eligibility. But most of these, and I guess Justin Rice, he's the exception, too. This is his final year. But all the other big-name transfers, Vons, Joyner, Philip Pea, all these guys, they got several years of eligibility left. Yeah. One, two, or two or three, at least. And so it's kind of a quick fix, it feels like, a little bit. But when you got these guys that are going to be sticking around for a little bit longer than just 12 games, it's more of a cemented thing that's actually going to help the culture a little bit so yeah yeah it's almost like a quick fix that is also like a medium term fix like a quick fix is bringing in guys with one year these guys uh you know coach bonda mentioned like that was kind of a priority for them you kind of see a pattern of guys coming in with three years left like that's that's huge like you just you don't get that usually like i think that's really what it comes down to is the defense is kind of breaking the norm of what you get like they're almost <laughs> they're like cheating in a way it's like <laughs> They're not taking two or three seasons to go and get better piece by piece. Like They're just like, okay, we're going to be exactly what we want to be right away. So they went and got these pieces that are going to be here for years to come. Like That's that's huge. Like That's rarely, rarely happens, especially at a mid-major level on a rebuild. That doesn't happen very often. So props to Coach Anderson, props to Coach Bonda for finding a way to go get the pieces they need. Yeah, and the last thing I want to say about this is it wasn't like there's no talent that was already here. They're bringing all these transfers that fill in holes but there's also some studs that are here yeah um Shaq Bond Dominic Tatum those two guys yeah. at safety and Cash Gilliam Kevin Metzenheimer Nick Henninger there's guys that are already here and so it's this the fact that they're kind of new transfers coming in with the old guys that are all are coming back from last season and they're pushing that together that's really what's going to make this defense really yeah. hopefully formidable so yeah yeah it's more of a, a supplement it's not like you're you're building a brand new team off of off of transfers, solely off of transfers. It's not like there was nobody here before. Uh, it was just a bad situation. We want to put it all on coaches, but honestly, a lot of it comes down to COVID, everything else going on. But like, yeah, there, there were a lot of great pieces in place, and we supplemented that with even more good pieces coming in from outside. So I think that probably just about does it for now. We still have uh, a lot of time left, a lot of shows left. So come back, uh, listen to us every week. We will, you know, we'll be here every week um, getting ready for the upcoming football season uh, as well as, you know, basketball and other things that are right around the corner. They're going to sneak up on you a lot faster than we think. So we'll be here every week getting ready for that. Media days are going on right now. We'll be covering that as well. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter. And we'll be back next week.